Hello, I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with another virtual trip to one of my favorite locations, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, to talk about exceptional design in an amazing and vibrant market, the Metroplex. Many cities don't have a name. <laughs> you know, the Metroplex. I, I lived in Dallas for, for nine years, loved living there. Um, Love that it's got a name, too. If you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you probably know just how fond I am of Fort Worth, Dallas, Dallas, Fort Worth, depending which comes first, depending on where you live. If you live in Fort Worth, it's Fort Worth, Dallas. If you live in uh, Dallas, it's Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, it's a thriving market that has absolutely exploded in the past 20 years. With that population explosion came an influx of new art, food, design, architecture, music. When this happens, it usually means a couple of other things. Gentrification, higher housing costs, infill projects, destruction of older dwellings to make rooms, room for new ones. DFW has seen and continues to see all of the above, which is why it's so important for good stewards, talented creatives, really, really smart designers to be present as well. You've, t you've heard from some of the others uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth that I've spoken to over the years, as well as Houston, Austin, San Antonio, amazing design talent in Texas. And this is where Angeline Guido Hall comes in. She is a Dallas native, actually studied interior design at TCU. Angeline knows what makes the Metroplex so special, designs to the strengths. And because of this, she's leaving her mark uh, on the design landscape an amazing mark, an indelible mark, and you're going to hear her story right after this. I am so proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They have been presenting partners of Convo by Design for four plus years, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the absolute best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design and patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S.-based manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me, and you know this, that the idea of luxury has changed, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory. Or it's just not considered luxury. If you want to add steam, you have really one true option if you want the best, and that's Thermosol. Mitch Altman, third-generation CEO of this family-owned company, of 65 years, continues to innovate the bathroom and shower space through technological marvels such as intelligent showering systems, sound therapy, aromatherapy, chromotherapy, technical interfaces, and so much more. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam bath equipment and technology since 1958, is enhancing its already stellar family of products with the new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce, inspired by the brilliance of northern European sauna technology and design. Thermosol's latest collections offer luxurious features, and there's only one option if you want the finest experience. 
Thermosol. Check out Thermosol.com and at Thermosol on the socials. So you are in Dallas. You're in mm-hmm. Dallas. Yeah. I, I, I love, um, I love Dallas. I lived in, I love Texas. I lived in Dallas for, um, for nine years. Okay. Yeah. I was in, I was in radio at the time. Oh, wow. All right. So do you know, what? um, what's that? I was going to say, were you with like a certain station that? Is yeah. Just- so I was the, well, first I was the music rep for the edge. Oh, thank you. Okay. So I was a, okay. 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 So whenever we bring me my ear, I don't know why I wanted to bring me my AirPods, my seven-year-old, they're home from fall break this week when they were like, where do you want to record your podcast? I was like, totally at home. The acoustics will be better than the office. I won't have a million people here. I would rather, it's much easier having a million adults around than two small children who want to do come you know and- what the, Do you know what though? Um, it's really interesting. So having the the reference point of having two kids in college uh-huh and really like having gone through the seven eight ten twelve would love to have it back but i get so much more done oh my <laughs> i know it i mean my goodness they're sw- i love my kids to death i would never change a thing about it but i kind of forgot they were on fall break when we when i was like oh yeah i'll record it at home it'll be so much easier and then i was like oh my god they're on fall break my nanny's here i was like i'm out of the room okay just so i just need like an hour <laughs> i love that um but it's but back to uh the original story so yeah so i was the music rep for the edge oh no way that yeah so- when it was when it was at 94.5. Okay, man, that was, those were good times. Those some good it, music. It's been a minute, but yeah, it was, um, so it was mid nineties. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's funny cause sorry, designers and design enthusiasts, but we're talking, we're going to talk music for a minute. At the <laughs> time, it was like old 97s, Deep Blue Something, <laughs> um, Toadies, all of these amazing Texas bands were all playing down at Deep Ellum. And because I was the music rep, <clears throat> there used to be this club on Lower Greenville called the Red Jacket. Okay. And I lived uh, off Vickery. Oh. So I would be able to just M Street. So just walk over to the Red Jacket. And on Sunday nights, we did Red Square Retro, which it was all 80s on Sunday nights. And it was packed for i don't know about a year and a half it was just amazing what an amazing time for music and in in dallas in north texas at that time live right in the 90s like right now my my husband and i are having our kids watch 90s classics movies like they just don't do it like they did in the 90s anymore now design is is better than it was in the 90s for sure today i feel like for most for most most styles i guess you could say but um, but yeah, music was great in the '90s. The movies were great in the '90s. It was just life was simpler, you know. It was it was good. I was a '90s kid. I was born in '86, and so I was um, you know really reared in the '90s, as as you would like to say. But um, but yeah, it's it's a different time now for sure. But my husband and I lower Greenville. We you what now? I, I said my husband and I met on uh, on Lower Greenville in the early two thousands. So, <laughs> very cool club. 
Um, yeah, I was I was out illegally in a bar with my fake ID, and it was his twenty fifth birthday. So <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you know what's funny? That's like the plot of a John Hughes movie. I mean, that could be that could really? be yeah. <laughs> yeah, he asked. I said something about oh yeah, I'm not really supposed to be here, and he was like, well, how old are you? And I said, well, I'll. I'll be 21. And he like stepped back with his hands up. And I was like, I'm not 17. Like it's, you know, it's the two thousands. Like people can date and they're five years apart. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And it's Texas. So you get away with everything in Texas. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you were raised in Dallas. When did you, I always love the origin stories. I, I really do because I am fascinated by how, people got to where they are and sure. doing doing what they do because i feel like that informs how they do what they do yeah right? so Absolutely. so you you went to tcu um did you study design there yeah um i grew up in a family of home builders and um i just grew up on the job sites and was so fascinated with construction and you know, it's even today, like when I enter a job site and it's in the drywall stage and you smell the drywall mud, it, it just like sets me back to being a kid and being on the job sites with my parents. And, um, they, they had a owned and operated a business together for, for many years. And my mom, um, handled a lot of the client relations and the design selections. And my dad kind of ran construction. And my mom was also really involved in the construction as well. Um, and then after their divorce, she ended up getting some land in the divorce and she was like, I'm going to build houses by myself. And so I was always, um, very, I guess you could say inspired by both my parents, especially, you know, my mom kind of taking on the construction industry as a woman. And so my biggest passion in, on, in design is definitely on the construction side, um, you'll, most of our projects, they'll, before they enter into furnishings, they start as either remodels or, um, new construction homes. And I just love the architectural space planning. Like those are, those are my big like kicks, I guess you could say with, um, within the industry. But so I just, I never wanted to do anything different. Um, my parents had been through a couple of recessions and, they were like, please go to school for something other than interior design and you're never going to make any money. <laughs> and they were, they were right for a while. I wasn't making much money for a very long time, but, but um, you know, I feel like when you're passionate about something, I know that sounds so cliche to say, but um, when you're truly passionate about something, as long as you're making like a living, it's not really that important I guess you could say like so and then you get to a point where you have to support a family and you're like okay I need to kick it into high gear and I need to make some money but this was this was fun when it was single when I was single and I didn't have to worry about making much money but the passion really led me to where I am today I guess you could say so a couple of things to unpack yeah. here the the first is um how do you how do you use your experience on the building side in your design work, meaning as a woman, look, it's unfortunate, but it's real. No, right? it's as, as a woman, as a woman, you can't walk in and tell contractors what to do because, mm -hmm. because for two reasons, one, they don't respond well to it traditionally, <laughs> historically. 
And two, because ultimately you're not going to get what you want. They're going to kick back. And this is, by the way, I have to say this. This is not all contractors. I work with a ton of contractors and I know a ton of contractors and builders and developers who, who really are remarkable on the customer service side with everybody. Yes. But in, in large part, still to some degree with, with contractors, with trades, you have that issue. Um, mm-hmm. How do you use, how do you use what you know? Yeah, I think that it's also about the delivery. I mean, just in life in general, it's, it's about the delivery of information and kind of gaining people's respect. So I watched my mom kind of deal with this in the early years of, of her developing her business a little bit. And I think that um, once you kind of start having conversations and cluing, cluing the subs into like, Hey, I know what I'm talking about kind of thing without um, over explaining yourself to where it looks like you're trying to like, look at me. I know what I'm talking about. Like, shut up and listen to me, you know? So I, I think that there's subtle ways to kind of work that in. And it kind of happens over time a little bit. Like the first few times that maybe we meet with a contractor, I think they might brush me off as like, oh, it's the decorators, you know, how they like to call us decorators. So, um, and then like once we start having conversations and they also see like our full deliverable set of what we give them as a pack as a design package it's like oh wow these people really know what they're doing it's really architecturally based there's a lot of detailed drawings that go into our deliverable set there's a ton of information um there's also like years of experience behind that as well that i think kind of initially on their own kind of gain maybe a little bit of respect up front but um at the end of the day like the way that i look at it is I'm the client's advocate on the job site. So um, the client hired me for a service and, you know, obviously like I love to make friends with everybody on the job site. I love to be close with the contractors like that. I believe is the most successful way to have like um, a truly successful team is for nobody throwing each other under the bus, like everyone having you know, respect for one another. Um, But at the end of the day, like if I have to, I'm going to stand up for my client. So I've had to kind of bully a couple of contractors, a few, but really I try not to, I really, really do try not to. And I try just to have a side conversation with them and say, look, we're on the same team. Um, I obviously know what I'm talking about. You know what you're doing. What can we kind of work through together to mitigate this situation, whatever it might be at hand. Um, But I think that just the more side visits we have, the more visits I have, more phone calls, I think that that they quickly understand that like me and my team, like we know what we're talking about. We know what we're doing. So it just kind of comes with time, I guess, to answer your question. Yeah, yeah. So, and you, um, so I believe you hung your shingle in 2014. Is that correct? 2014. Mm-hmm. How has the design industry changed in North Texas since that time, since you went out on your own? Because it's interesting, you know, Highland Park, I, I think that 
almost every house has utilized an interior designer at, at some point in certain areas, right? Or, you know, other areas of town, certain parts of Fort Worth. Um, but now it seems to be far more ubiquitous. Um, but what have you seen? How has design changed in, in Dallas in particular, Fort Worth in particular, North, North Texas, um, since you started? Um, I would say that over the years, my clientele base has kind of changed a little bit. So, and I think that most designers would probably agree with this, that there's more people are using designers now. Um, and it, it almost is, is like, no matter really what their budget is, they're still wanting some kind of consultation. So I think that people are, there's like this, this drive, this rise in, um, and I don't know if it comes from social media or HGTV or what it might be, but people are seeing the value in what an interior designer can bring. And so um, my client base has definitely gotten higher end as the years go by. Um, but we still do have other services that um, where we can work with people that maybe don't want to spend $500,000 on their furnishings and they might want to spend 50,000 on doing, you know, three rooms. And um, that's our design board service can kind of help them do that. So I would say my business has changed over the years in, um, in a certain trajectory going like a little bit higher end, but I do still see that there's a, a need for every, um, I guess you could say like type of family to, to really want to hire a designer. Um, and to go back to your question about just like regarding the industry itself and how it's changed. Um, I think that it's, I mean, it's definitely gotten saturated for sure. Like there's, there's a lot of designers and we all have something different to offer, which is great. But, um, and this may be the same in Oklahoma. I'm not sure. Feel free to, to interject, but it's, um, it's definitely saturated. There's lots of builders working with their kind of favorite designers. There's lots of architects referring their favorite designers and things like that. Um, but it's, uh, it's not an easy industry. It's small, but large <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> you could say. Lots of competition. So you really have to work on setting yourself apart, for sure. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. You know what's interesting, too, though? Um, when, you, when you think about Texas, there are certain things now, especially in, in, in Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, that are really interesting that have changed dramatically from when I was there. And I think, I think we left in, um, yeah, we left in 2006. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. Not every house is brick anymore. Thank yeah. goodness. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> yes. Since the pandemic, design has really changed dramatically too. And I think it really speaks to modern tastes, especially in the South. You, you, have, you have bars that are visible. Mm -hmm. It's a small thing. It's a little thing. But Gosh, in the '90s, you know, find a house where where you would take the liquor cabinet and and use the use the bottles as accessories, and, yeah. and actually make a make a visible a visible vignette out of the bar because it's so functional. Everything was always just hidden away before. Everything was white, off white, taupe or beige, you know. And I and I don't mean to pigeonhole the South with that, 
but it was always muted. But if you look at your work, your work is not muted. Um, your your work is vibrant. Your work is is probably, I'm assuming, completely original and independent to the people for whom you're designing. When you Absolutely. came in, when you came in in 2014, was it like that? And have you since gained certain freedoms as tastes have changed? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that also our as what another thing I've noticed as um, I kind of grow the business and the years go by is that clients are a lot better at explaining or being able to show their style of what they're trying to what they're trying to achieve, which makes our job a little easier. I mean, we still have to do a lot of like psychological analysis for sure. And that's a large part of our, of our process, but because there are so many great outlets like Instagram and anything on social media, house Pinterest, it has, I mean, honestly, I don't know kind of how, how the designers of the nineties really got inspiration to kind of get their clients on board. I think their clients would just see something they've done before and like, okay, this is your style. Just do my house. You know, like I remember going around to design charms with my mom and sitting on, you know, furniture with clients. And we do still do that. But beforehand, there's so much that goes into the process before you even get to that point. And you know, back in, back then you didn't really have the luxury of that as much. And even in 2014, when we started there, there wasn't as much, excuse me, <clears throat> as much online influence, I feel like as there is today from clients. So it was kind of harder. I feel like I kind of had to go like a little bit more round and round with clients back then. Um, and also, I just think that there wasn't as much of a level of trust as there is now. Cause I have 10 years under my belt of doing this on my own. Um, so I feel like clients are, are definitely more trusting with me and my team. So um, it, it's gotten a lot easier, I guess you could say over the years in terms of um, kind of getting down to the bottom of what a client wants and being able to deliver that to them. There's just so many more resources now than there were then. Um, and kind of back to what you were asking about, you know, just in Dallas in general, how, how have things changed? I, I kind of missed something that I wanted to, to note about that. Um, people are taking more risk in design now and they are breaking rules, which is definitely more fun. They're not kind of trying to stay within this box of Cape Cod or Mediterranean or whatever it might be. I heard, I mentioned on, I heard you mention Cape Cod on one of your, uh, podcast and I knew exactly what you were talking about when you said that with a splash of blue it's like knew knew exactly what you were referring to and it's like they're they're kind of bending the rules and a lot of clients are letting us do that now and maybe they weren't as much back then so you know what's interesting too is that you know back in the day before everyone's project before you know before social media and it's funny too when you talk about there's a new generation now of young people who have had Facebook in their lives their entire life mm -hmm. since they yep. were born Facebook. So, you know, you can go back on their parents' page or whatever and see pictures of them, you know, at the hospital. Like yeah. their entire life is memorialized on Facebook. So it's one of those things where at some point, we're going to be those people who are like, when I was young, you know, back in my day, 
We but, didn't have- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And one of the things that I've kind of railed on over the years um, that really irritates me and continues to this day, it's getting better, but what I call the design flyover states, which is basically anything from Nevada to mm, Connecticut. You know, it, these are all just kind of like, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening, but nobody ever really pays attention to it. You know, I, I can't look back at AD and tell you when the first time that they added a, a, a Texas designer to the, to the AD 100. But you can't tell me that 85% of the world's greatest design talent reside in Manhattan yeah. or LA or LA. You just, you can't, you can't tell me that because I don't think it's true from my experience after 10 years of doing these conversations, I can tell you that's not true. Yeah. But, but at the same time, you know, I can't tell you the first time El Decor or AD published a Dallas project, mm-hmm. but, but I don't think it's been, it's been, you know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 15, maybe 15, maybe eight. I don't know. I don't know when it happened. But the point is, is like, I think now we're seeing things that we never used to see before. You talk about design in the 90s. Nobody saw any of the designs that were taking place in the 90s because there was no place to see them unless they yeah. were in one of the trade magazines. Yeah, that's that's true. That's actually very true. And like, you know, published coffee table books and things like that, you know, I think that maybe going back and looking at some of those in the nineties and seeing what like true modern design was happening, because there was some bad, like traditional kind of style stuff, not traditional, but that like mauve where, where mauve and green met, you know, you know mm. what I mean? Mm. Lots of faux florals and Laura Ashley um, fabrics and things like that. You know, there were some some great executions of those, but there were some really bad executions of it as well, like there is today. I mean, there's good and bad ex- execution today as well, still, obviously. But um, but yeah, they didn't have all the different um, outlets of of inspiration and and uh, you know publications and things like that that we do today. So, <laughs> are, would you say that you are more of a of a technical designer because of your your construction and building background? Absolutely. Like our process is very architecturally based and um, I love working very closely with architects and builders. Um, that again is, is very much my passion. So you will, you would see that as a client and through a lot of the process with us um, because, you know, the first step in our process is a plan review. So depending on where the client is on their, uh, build, like they may have just met with an architect three times and they might have a very early preliminary set of plans that they want us to look at, or they might have a mostly done set of plans that they want us to come in and look at. And, and that's the first thing I do is we start looking at that and the layout of the kitchen and how does it relate to this and that. And maybe there's something you didn't think about with the sight line or a windows in the way of a, where a bed wall could be or a door swing. Um, lots of kind of small things that could add up to big issues possibly later. Um, I can't tell you how many times we've had to go in when a client thinks that they're done with a floor plan and say, okay, what, how many people do you want to seat? Like, do you want to host in your living room? Oh, we'd love a sectional and a pair of chairs and large coffee table and a set of ottomans in front of the fireplace. You know, we'd love to seat like at least 10 people in there. I'm like, okay, well, this living room is 
um, 19 feet wide and there's two walkways on both sides. So I know that on plan, you look at it and you're like, oh, 19 feet. No, immediately take six feet away. You're left with 13 feet of furnishing space. So, and we've had to go in and kind of finesse all of that and say, you need to add three more feet to the width of your living room. And where is this going to go? And so the earlier, the better for us, because we are very technically driven in our process. So the earlier a client can engage, the the better it's going to be for them and the architect. <laughs> Have you seen an opportunity? And again, you know, I, I, I do believe there's going to be a a solid thick line of delineation in our conversations moving forward as it relates to design and architecture between pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. Mm -hmm. I just, I really, I really do believe that this is one of those rings in the tree where you're going to be able to say, Oh, something happened here yes. because there was a fundamental shift in the, in the manner in which designers design and people live. Have you found new opportunity as a designer to work on spaces that previously maybe you hadn't. Um, for example, you know, the idea of wellness in the home, the idea, which wasn't really, people didn't really pay attention to that mm -hmm. much. Um, mm -hmm. the, the idea of um, fundamental use of outdoor spaces, uh, uh, second or third kitchen areas, and last, something that I, I'm digging in with both feet right now is the idea of safety and security. Cause I think that that's the, that's the next, I believe that that's the next Vista. Um, have you found opportunities that didn't exist pre pandemic for you as a designer? Absolutely. I mean, some of the spaces that you were listing out are spaces that we've really thoroughly enjoyed working on now, like lots of home gyms. Um, I, before the pandemic, I mean, we would have like exercise, like kind of small exercise rooms here and there, but there was such a shift in that during the pandemic that people really prior prioritizing their health and not being able to go to the gym and being like, screw it. If this happens again, like I want to stay to the art gym at home. I want a steam room. I want a sauna. So yes, we, people are really going above and beyond with that sort of thing for sure. Um, and yes, outdoor spaces, huge, big time outdoor living. I'm working on um, designing a new house right now with a builder and an architect as um, a spec and the builders kind of giving us kind of free reign and the way that we're designing the house is, is really all around the outdoor living. And I know that sounds crazy in Texas cause it's hot, but um, even in Texas, like people want to be outside, they want to be enjoying their pools. They want to be enjoying their patios. So like, how do we make that possible for them to enjoy those spaces, even when it's 107 degrees outside? So um, also I feel like, the shift in the way that we are able to present to clients has changed. I mean, Zoom, like I was complaining earlier about how I don't like to operate it. I always have someone else in the meeting with me, like to operate the Zoom and then, you know, but it has allowed us actually to do it quite a few out of town projects. Mm. So, and I think, during the pandemic, it also really required us to button up our process and the way that we presented to clients. And it had made our process even stronger, um, which also made it a better fit for out of town projects. So right now we have like six out of town projects. Um, and I, I never had out of town projects prior to maybe two years ago. 
Um, I mean, little here and there, like I had one in um, Arkansas and just furnishings, but we're doing full remodel, full new construction homes, all furnishings all over the U S right now. So. Wow. Yeah. So that really helped us. I think, you know, I think people realized, Hey, we can really do stuff virtually. Oh, oops. Sorry. How has that, how has that changed? Um, <laughs> how has that changed your travel schedule? Not that young kids would ever, would ever change the way that you want to do what you want to do when you want to do it. But how has that, how has that changed business in Dallas, family in Dallas, but now we've got this and it's a real thing. You know, it's you've got this whole idea of you have to now take the show on the road and go elsewhere, which creates a whole different set of issues. How do you how do you manage that? Um, I have an amazing team. There's there's 12 of us on staff. And so within that, there's three senior designers and then they each have their own junior designer. And so they really handle a lot of the client communication, um, builder communication, all of that. Um, they each have maybe like one to two projects that are out of town at a time, I would say. And they're all kind of in different stages. So they're not being like pulled in so many directions. So I think it's all about like staging those projects properly and it's nice if we can kind of get them in general, generally the same region. Like right now I have one in Maryland and I have one in DC. So if we need to kind of, you know, finagle a site visit where two days we go to this one and then two days we go to that one, we kind of can. Um, but, you know, honestly, like our deliverable set has so much information in it. It has an entire finish schedule of every single down to the hardware um, selection that they would need before they even break ground. And everything is coded to our architectural design set that we do of all of our elevations. So it, we're not required to be on site as much anymore, I feel like, as we did before we had this very buttoned up deliverable set and process. So it's made things a lot easier to do these out of town projects. So this, the schedules, it's like, you just kind of manage however you can. And I have an, an, an amazing nanny here as well. She's willing to step in and help. I, she's really like my nanny now. Like I need her more than the kids do. <laughs> she does. <laughs> she does so much. She does all kinds of stuff for us. And she's keeping my kids at bay right now out of this room. So oh, I so. love that. That's amazing. Um, one of the things that I love to do is when we're having these conversations is to go to the website. Um, and if you're listening and you want to follow along, you can go to Angie's website, which you will find a link in the show notes. And then we go to the project, the portfolio. And anytime I get an inkling that the designer's own house is in their portfolio, I'm starting there. And so because there's Angeline's house, I'm uh -huh. going to assume that it's yours. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. That's my house. Love yeah. It. What kind of client are you? Ooh. I feel like I feel like I'm I would be the type of client as I am the type of boss, I guess, that I am, which is like letting people do their thing, letting people, um, you know, giving my, giving my opinion about things, but like letting them run their show and 
you know, coming in when I need to interject. So I feel like I'm, I'm kind of also that way as a client, like I hired you for a reason. You have an expertise. Um, you know, what you show me first, I'll give you my ideas. You show me first, I'll massage a little bit, but I'll ultimately I'm going to back away and trust and be like, okay, that I hired you for a reason. Okay. So did you do it yourself or did you allow one of your team members to do the design? I would say that I did probably 85% of it myself. Okay. So you're a control freak client. <laughs> well, at that, at that time, I built the house in 2019 and 2020 and we moved in like right before the world shut down, like a week before the world just like shut down. Yeah. At that time, I didn't have as large of a staff. If I were to mm. do it again, today, um, I would say that I would, I would probably have more of a structure, like a senior designer and a junior designer. But, but back then I was doing it myself. And then again, this was, you know, four years ago before I had even as much experience as I do now, I would, I would definitely do things differently in my own house um, today. Like if we were to build again, I would do a lot of things differently. I feel like I've learned so much about the industry itself and construction and design and everything in the last four years that I would do so many things differently. So, but yeah, if I, if I could have had more help with my house, I would have, but I didn't have as many staff members. We didn't have as much extra time. We were just like flowing and going. I was making decisions on the fly. Like it was, it was a mess. It was honestly, a <laughs> my, my dad helped me with the plans. He did the shell of the build. I was managing the finish out like from sheetrock on myself. And it was just, we were living with my dad while we were, oh my God. My husband was like, can you please get this house finished? Was it ground, was it ground up? Yes. It was. Okay. Yeah. What would you, what, knowing what you know now, and I think that, you know, wouldn't it be great if every designer could go back to their clients in four years Yes. and say, okay, what works, what doesn't work? I mean, that's yeah. just not, that's just not done. But if you, if you had to do that with yourself, what works, what would you have done differently? Oh, uh, okay. So I feel like the pantry has become so glamorized over the last few years that we are doing these like incredible pantries for people. And I was moving from a much smaller house where I had a very small pantry. And now in a lot of our remodels, we were doing like the cabinet pantries with the pullouts, which I was like, I'm not going to take up square footage in the house to do a big pantry. I don't need it. I would just, let's just do the big two, two bolt, big cabinets with pullouts. That's all we need to do. Um, I regret not doing like a large pantry where I could have the toaster oven because I hate it on my countertop and I get it in and out of the appliance garage when I need to use it. Um, Let's see. That would be one thing. I, I love a banquet moment. I would have liked figured out how to work one into my house. I feel like, uh, that's one thing I'm kind of missing in my kitchen living area is e even though we have this large living area, that's casual right off of our kitchen, everybody wants to hang out in the kitchen. I feel like there needs to be a little morning room or a little banquet or something that's some soft seating right in the kitchen area. So I always try to like work that in when I can with clients. 
Um, cause that is one thing that I regret. And then I would say that, um, I do not like having a second floor and we built this house specifically for resale value. Cause we weren't really expecting to stay here that long, but we really do love it. And it is a pain in the butt to go up and down the stairs with the kids stuff when they're little, when they're older, I think it's fine. But when they're little, it's a pain in the butt. So I actually keep like all my kids clothes in our downstairs bedroom. <laughs> and they get ready in my bathroom. I just, I would have not gone as big. We don't need this big of a house, but we were doing it for resale. And when I build my forever home, it's going to be a one story ranch style. And yes. <laughs> and also I would have gone ahead and done our pool. We got a quote for a pool and it was like $65,000. We were like, huh, I don't know. Do we do it? Or do we not? My daughter was like a year and a half at the time. And we were like, no, let's wait. That was so dumb. Now it's like $125,000 or $130,000 to do the same pool. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's bananas, right? Yes. So anyhow, those, those are a of my regrets. I love that. Well, look, I, I don't know of a single project with a designer that I've, I, we, when we talk about these all the time, it's like the client loves the project. I love the project, but yeah, dot, dot, dot. There's always something there's, there's always something. And if, if you look at it long enough, um, you can always find something to make it better, which is the coolest thing. Next one I wanted to jump to, was um, St. Jude's. Yes. Uh-huh. So striking. Um, I love this project. I love the color. I love the tile. The tile. The tile and the wallpaper. I mean, just the backsplash. Amazing. Um, in the bathroom, um, what you've done with the tile and the wallpaper and, and juxtaposing it against mirrors so that you can see it on the other side while you see it on the same side, it's just, it's really interesting how you positioned everything. And I wanted to talk to you about that and, you know, how the, how the wallpaper juxtaposed against the sink too, just such vibrant colors and patterns. Um, you must've had a client that, that it's, isn't it great to have a client that lets you go nuts? Absolutely. Um, that was a, a really fun project. That was a family that um, he was from Spain and she was from like, she had like Moroccan heritage. So she wanted this Moroccan Spanish kind of vibe in the house and like extremely open to color, like loved everything I showed her. I didn't have to do like a ton of reselections. Um, she, they, they were great the only bad part about that project, it was, it happened We they started demo and then uh, the pandemic started. Uh. So the project was from like, you know, three years ago or something or three and a half years ago. And it was, we were, that was my first remodel that we were trying to navigate through COVID. And it's like, do you go to the job site all the time? Do I show up in a mask? Like, what, what do we, what do we do? And, um, I realized that that's, that was one of the projects that made me realize that like, we didn't have enough included in our process to be able to do this. If 
this is how the world is going to be. So that was one of the projects that really catapulted me into like wanting to really button up our process a lot. Um, and also like dealing with all these construction delays and just vendors not shipping things when they're supposed to and all that kind of stuff. And so now I feel like there's, it's kind of nice because there's this understanding of like, Hey, we need to make all your decisions up front. Stuff is not in stock. It's going to take forever and it's better, but it's still not great. And people are okay with it. But back then I was trying to navigate the client expectations of all that. And it was, it was a tough time, but I love how the project turned out. It was, it was a really sweet project. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm jumping all over the place, but one of the things I wanted to stop off at was the San Saba project because mm -hmm. a couple of things I notice um, about your work, you've, you've been employing the open shelving. It seems like for a while, if I'm, if I'm looking back at some of your work, um, which is definitely a, I'm going to just say it's a newer concept for Texas in particular, um, but it seems like you've been doing that for a number of years. And also you found your bank at moment in this project. Oh, wasn't that great? So that was a neat project. The client's dad is a commercial architect and he actually did their plans for them. So that was really nice to be able to work through that with them um, and, and her father. That was, they have three young boys and, the, you'll kind of see an upstairs bathroom that's a little boy bath upstairs. And um, there's a, another designer on on that project with me who was very talented. And she um, did a great job with a lot of the selections and um, kind of managing the client as well. And um, that, but back to the open shelving, like, yeah, you know, I think that to me, the open shelving for some people is very much like a stylistic thing for me, I have it in my kitchen. I like it as a functional thing. So I like all my plates. I like all my bowls and my cups and things like that. I want to see what I have. I know where it goes. Um, anything that I need to hide, I can hide down below in drawers. But to me, it just feels much more like a chef's kitchen, like grabbing a plate as you're plating up food and it's right there, you know, to the right, to the left of the cooktop. So I think that to me, that's more of a function over form. So what do you, how do you see yourself using your kitchen? Is it very relaxed? Is it very chef kitchen? Is it like you want people to walk in and be like, oh, this isn't stuffy. Like I can hang out. And if I spill my tea on the countertop, then this person's not going to like freak out on me. So very lived in all those sorts of things. So if that's the vibe, then I typically go toward having some open shelving in the kitchen versus just wanting to throw stuff up there that you're never going to use. that just looks pretty. Um, I don't like that as much. I, I want things to be intentional and like actually have a purpose. So if out, you need to use it. What so. city, what city is this project in? Uh, that was in Dallas. Excellent. Okay. So there's so, if you look at the exterior, this project could be in, could be in Beverly Hills. Mm -hmm. it, it could be, it could be in Miami. Could be it, could be, it could be anywhere. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And it's, it's not, you know, it's not the, but then you look inside and again, with the, with the inside out, um, 
It could be, could be anywhere. That bathroom with the green cabinetry. Isn't that cute? It is so, it's amazing. Really interesting. It's, 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 you know, quasi industrial with subway tile and just the, the pops of color. And it's just, it's an amazing space. You, you have an adventurous client. Yeah. That, really- that it seems to, they seem to allow you to, to kind of do what you wanted to do. Yeah. And I think that when a space has a, a very very much a driven purpose to it. It's easier to get a client to agree to commit to those decisions. So for instance, um, you know, like that was very much, it was a shared boys bath with three boys. So it's like, let's commit to going all boy in here. Okay. We're doing plaid tile. We're going green on the cabinets. We're doing this cool little like trough sink, you know, they're boys. They don't need all the same storage that girls will need. And we did have those little hutch cabinets on either side. But the, the funny thing is, since then, I have designed um, two other houses that have a shared bathroom for three boys. And they all reference that image on our portfolio as we want the bathroom to be something like this. So it's um, it's really neat. I, re- I was really appreciative that they, they let us do some really fun stuff in their house. And that was one of my absolute favorite builders to work with. Um, I still work with them today on a lot of projects. And so they, they did an amazing job executing the design on that house. So that's really, that's really interesting to me that, and I'm not surprised that it's highly requested, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to me that it's highly requested considering, you know, that the, the kind of that industrial feel to the, to the sink and the tub and just kind of like how, how the whole space is just a little bit, it's a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. I love that. I love that. Um, so as you look forward, you know, we've, we've looked back at what you've done as you look forward, what, what are you looking forward to? You know, and I get, I don't know if, if we're the same in this regard, but I get really reflective around this time of year. Mm-hmm. You know what I, I mean? Yes. As, as you look into, you know, potentially shutting down, spending time with the family, moving into Q4 of 23 and into Q1 of 24, what is, what does the business look like for you? How have you staged your, um, your upcoming projects? What does next year look like for you? And there's a lot of talk about people slowing down economically right now. I'm curious what you're finding. Um, well, I always get nervous talking about that because I don't want to jinx myself or anyone. There's else. no such thing as jinxing it. There, there isn't. There isn't. So, I mean, I feel like historically everybody gets kind of nervous and crazy around these times every four years, you know? So, um, I try just to not let it bother me. I try to just not be in my head about it and think about like, look at the, the pandemic. Like that was a terrible time and it was awful for many businesses. I mean, it was really awful for my business for a few months and I was very scared and I was talking to my staff about like, what if we had to do layoffs and you know, all this sort of stuff. And then there was this huge surge of business And again, sadly, that wasn't for every industry. And again, I like, I hate saying that it was, it worked out for us, but it did. So I don't know. I always try to look at the glass half full and I try to not 
get in my head about the potentials of what could and just think about this is what we have right now. And we have a great pipeline of business built up. Um, you know, our projects take time to complete. So, you know, there is that kind of commitment from a client long-term when we, then when they sign up with us. Um, I also think that my, my client base has shifted. This kind of goes back to what I was talking earlier. Like it's definitely become more high end. And I think that, you know, some of the people that are maybe more concerned with financial investments are maybe not in that bracket of income possibly as maybe some of my clients are. Um, now, is that to say that that's true across the board? No, but I feel like for the most part, our, our clientele is, is a little more insulated possibly from, from some things. Um, and so that does give me a little comfort. Maybe I'm just trying to make myself feel better about it. I don't know, but, but, um, I am just focusing on the positives of, of what we have moving forward and all these amazing projects that are waiting in the wings to begin, or that we just started that we're going to be doing construction on. And then those also then turn into furnishings projects. So when a client signs up with us, it's almost kind of like we get the commitment of two projects. We get their construction and then that rolls into their furnishings. So it, it kind of builds a little bit of an insulated pipeline for us, I guess you could say, but um, go ahead. No, I'm just curious um, with that. Are you going to be traveling next year? Are there any events that, that you're going to any design events that are back on your radar or places that you just, you go to every year that you just feel like, I love this. I got to go. We go to Round Top twice a year and mm -hmm. um, down in Round Top, if you're listening, you don't, you're not familiar, Round Top, um, Texas is outside of Austin and it is a huge antique show um, that lasts for a month, twice a year. They do it in um, October and April and we go twice a year and we buy a bunch of stuff and we go with like a full list of things for, for clients. So um, like right now we're going next week actually, or wait. What is that? Is that this week? Next week. This, this week. Okay. <laughs> the 15th that's next week. Okay. So anyways, we, I'm, I'm really excited. We're, we have a whole list of things that we're buying for clients. So we'll go and it'll say like, okay, master bedroom, uh, excuse me, primary bedroom, primary bedroom. We're going to be looking for a console that is between this dimension, this dimension, this is um, the approximate budget. Uh, for the living room, coffee table, approximate dimensions needed, budget, and then we collect a retainer up front from clients. So we're just we're just charging up that credit card the whole time we're there buying stuff for clients. And it's so much fun because they get these amazing, unique pieces that you're not going to find anywhere else. And those are the kind of things that I prefer to bring to a project um, anytime we can over something that's new. So we, we do, uh, we've been to high point and I did enjoy high point a lot. We might go in the spring, but I, that's not going to probably be like an every year trip for me. Um, I feel like there's so many good showrooms and resources here in Dallas that many of those, uh, places are already represented at. So, while we did meet some new vendors while we were there, I get a lot more value for us going to round top every year, twice a year. So 
I, I love it. It's funny because Roundtop is on my list of things that I've just never found oh. the, the time to do. I know. Oh. I know. Um, do you see different things every time you go, though? It's not the Absolutely. same. Okay. Absolutely. All different new things. The vent, like there's a couple of our favorite vendors that um, there's one that buys European antiques and the stuff is not like super inexpensive by any means. I will say that like there's the prices of things are definitely higher end, but if, if you are looking for like four amazing pieces for a project and you have a good budget, it's worth going. If you are looking for a dining table that's $700 or a thousand dollars. Like you might find a few pieces here and there, but there's going to be a lot of really, really amazing $4,000 dining tables. You know? So, so for sure. Oh, and also Reno, um, the other principal in my firm, he has been with me for uh, almost nine of the almost 10 years that I've been in business. So he, he handles kind of like all of our furnishings, projects i handle the construction but then we obviously like crossover so we have this really great yin and yang um thing going on but we we are planning a trip to la we want to go visit some la vendors and get to see some stuff in person that we're already specifying for clients and so um that's that is something we're planning to do in uh the spring okay so last question i have for you and, and i love that you said that um because I'm a native Angelino, LA is home. When, uh -huh. when you begin to plan, which it sounds like you have, do you know where you're going to go? Do you know who you want to visit? Do you, do you have it laid out yet? Where, what's like, you're not going to Disneyland. You're, you're going, you're going, right? <laughs> right. Okay. So, yes. So we have been collecting a list of vendors for, I would say probably the last two years we've been talking about going on an LA trip and we just haven't had the chance to do it yet. But, and we also work with a, a, a handful of high end LA vendors that we want to go see in person. And in addition to those, I mean, I feel like we come across a lot through social media, Instagram, um, Pinterest, you know, any, anything like that. And, and we've been adding them to our Rolodex of LA stops when we go. So when we get closer to that time, we're going to plan those showroom visits a little, like reach out and say like, Hey, we're going to be in town. Can we plan a visit with our rep and um, kind of make a schedule of things. And then my husband and Reno's husband will be going. And um, I don't what know. Time, what, what, what time of year? Uh, sometime in the spring, not entirely sure yet, but we go to round top in April. So it would probably be either March or May. Got it. Okay. Cause what I was going to say is there, well, there's a couple of things. First of all, if you were going in, you're not going in November, but in November is the West edge design fair of which I, I, I produce all of the programming for West you edge. I do. Yeah. So that's the weekend before Thanksgiving. So if you're listening to this, um, Sorry, it's already happened, but um, <laughs> but it was great. It was great. Um, so if you're go if you're thinking about November, that's a great time. Also, in there's also this window of opportunity where I always suggest people try to do this if they're from, you know, a, a ways away, because you've got KBiz and modernism uh -huh. both oh. within both within a week of each other in January, February. And then that's a beautiful time to come visit LA, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you, if you can do like that whole West coast swing, 
you can okay. you can knock you can knock a lot of things out but that's a week that's not a couple of days you can't do it in a couple of days and that that's the thing that's tough for me with like kids and school and their sports and all that i have to be mindful about like kind of planning my trips in these little chunks of time instead of yeah. spanning out over time but i do want to go to uh, and we are I, and I think we probably already should have booked this, but I need to look into this. Actually, thank you for reminding me. We we really want to go to uh, um, the Kitchen and Bath show in in uh, Vegas. Vegas, yeah, yeah. So okay. here's what I tell people: Have you ever been? No, and I want to go. Okay. So okay. Here's what you here's what you need to know about KBiz. Um, it is monstrous. Because mm-hmm. you have you have KBiz and IBS, which are you know the International Builder Show, which are in the same. It's a it's got to be a million square feet, and I'm not exaggerating. It's got to be a million square feet of exhibition space in the Las Vegas Convention Center. Um, they've got a they've got a Tesla Loop. They've got this uh, the the Boring Company built a loop so you can drive take a Tesla underground I from one side. It's it's really it's pretty cool. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but you're talking, if you want to go and do it right, minimum two days. Yeah. Mi- minimum. And I think we were planning on going for three days. So we, we have some vendors that have reached out. Um, Ferguson is, is a vendor that I'm, we work a lot with and they're so funny because, because I do have a large staff, like we do travel in packs. And so she was like, look, we can take you and maybe Reno, but like, if you want to bring the rest of your crew, you're going to have to pay. I was like, oh no, I know, I know. Because anytime we go anywhere, there's like 12 of us, you know? So we, we like to, we like to travel as a group when we can to stuff, but um, rolling in deep to showroom visits and stuff. Well, like a- anyway, let me know if you're going to go to KBiz, um, because I'll probably be out there covering it again this year. So, and I would love to see you while you're out there. I'd love that. That would be so awesome. Very yeah. cool. I feel like the last couple of years is really when I started to be very frank and honest, really started having a budget to be able to do those types of things for so yeah. long. You know, I was putting so much money back into the business and growing the business and hiring and doing all the things um, that I like really needed to do to set up a successful business. Um, and so really just the last like two years, probably we've, we finally been able to have budget budgetary dollars freed up to do this kind of stuff. So, um, we're, we're really looking forward to, to doing some more things like that for sure. That's awesome. And I, and I hope I see you out there, Angeline, thank you so much for doing this. I loved our chat. This was great. Me too. I really, really appreciate it. I was, I was honored that you wanted uh, to speak with me and this was so much fun. You're just such a conversation, natural conversationalist. And I love listening to your podcast. And so I felt so excited to, to be on. I really appreciate it. And this was, this was so great. I hope to see you again. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery style space with a thoughtful display of products purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration 
collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Angeline, thank you. What a great chat. Uh, Amazing. Um, Loved it. You can hear why I love doing this so much, and this is why it is so rewarding for me to share these stories with you. Thank you. Uh, Angeline, for making the time. Thank you to my partners and sponsors, Thermosol and Design Hardware, for your continued and unwavering support of the show and for the design community. For more stories like these from the design community, please make sure you are subscribing to the podcast so you receive new episodes automatically when they're published. That way, you never miss a single episode. Convo by Design is available everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to follow along on Instagram at Convo by Design with an X, as well as to tell you that, and I've said this before, I love the emails that you send. I love the guest suggestions. Many of them actually wind up on the show. Um, they've been great, and I love them. And, and some show ideas as well. You've sent those too, and I love those. Anyway, keep reaching out because I love hearing from you, and, um, and I hope you're enjoying the show because you're the reason why I do this. So thanks for listening. Until next week, be well, and take today first. 